time in our culture and our context praising athletes and making a big deal out of celebrities, but you guys are the real heroes. And so we want to pause today and thank you and let you know that we appreciate you. And we also recognize that for some of you, Mother's Day can be a painful holiday uh, because of things that you've gone through, loss you've experienced, disappointment, or, or whatever that is for you. And we are also standing with you in that. Even if you are not a biological mother as of now or yet, uh, we believe that each and every one of you women has been given the gift by God, the ministry of mothering. And you play a role in showing us an expression of God that we would not otherwise know. And we are grateful for that. And I just wanted to, to take an intentional few moments here, uh, read you a couple of scriptures, and then pray, pray a blessing over you. This one, first one is from Proverbs 31. It says, Her children arise and call her blessed. Her husband also And he praises her. Moms, we want you to feel blessed, that we are blessing you today, that you are praised, that you are appreciated. And in this other verse from Proverbs 23, may your father and mother rejoice. May she who gave birth to you be joyful. We hope that you experience joy today, that you can feel our love and our appreciation and God's smile upon you. Now, if you are a woman, period, I would like you to stand right now. You will find your place in this blessing, regardless of what stage of life you are in, regardless of how young or old you may be. I want to pray a very intentional and personal blessing over every one of you women. I'm going to read it just because I have these words just the way I want them. Moms, for the late and sleepless nights, we thank you for your patience. Men, while we're at it, let's just extend a hand toward them as if to say, hey, we're in this with you. We are blessing you too. For helping us through homework, fevers, and chicken pox, we thank you for your care. For your support, encouragement, and for believing in us, we are grateful. To those who brought their first child into the world this year, we celebrate with you. To those who have lost a child or miscarried, we mourn with you. May God give you peace. To those who are in the trenches with little ones every day and wear the badge of food and other kinds of stains on your clothes, we appreciate you. To those who walk the hard path of infertility, full of tears and disappointment, may God be with you. Forgive us when we say dumb and ignorant things. To the single mothers who feel as if you carry the weight of the world on your shoulders. May God lighten your load and honor your never-ending work. To those who are foster moms, mentor moms, spiritual moms, we need you. We value your commitment to love. To those who have close relationships with your children, we celebrate with you. To those who experience disappointment and heartache with your children, may God be merciful to you. To those who lost their mothers this year, we grieve with you. To those who step-parent, may God provide you with strength and wisdom. To those who are exhausted, overwhelmed, and in need of support, may you sense God's presence in this season. You are known and you are loved. To those who have ended a pregnancy, we grieve with you. You are loved. To those who are single and hope one day for a family of your own, may you know the fulfillment that you have in God. 
to grandparents and empty nesters. May God renew your vision and enthusiasm for life and bring you great joy. To those who are pregnant right now with new life, both expected and surprising, we anticipate with you and bless God for this new life. This Mother's Day, we celebrate all the women in our midst who dedicate themselves to the ministry of mothering. We say thank you and ask that the God who designed you and designed your unspeakably important role bless you and keep you, make his face to shine upon you, give you joy and contentment and peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's thank our women in our life. Now we are continuing in our What If series that we've been in for the last several weeks, and we, we're in this What If series uh, because we believe that what happened on Easter that we celebrated, what, what, what happened, what we believe as followers of Jesus, and if you're new to this idea of following Jesus, we believe some crazy things uh, because we actually believe that he was God and that he died in, on a cross and was resurrected again. And if that didn't happen or wasn't the case, then we're foolish, then we're idiots. We, we, we have no basis of believing anything that we believe if that didn't actually happen. So that's what we hang our hat on. That's our foundation. That's our core conviction. And, and because of that, we started into this series called What If, as if to say, what if what Jesus said about himself was actually true? What if he really was God in skin? What if he really did die and raise again? And what if it was for you? What would the implications be then for your life today in 2014? And so we're continuing in that series. And some of you are going to wonder to yourself, how is this a Mother's Day message? And you're going to go through like 25 minutes, these next 20 minutes, and you're going to say, this, this is not very Mother's Day until we get to the end, and it's going to come full circle. And you're going to be like, oh, I get it, Caleb. You're a genius. I see what you did there. Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 17, it says this, One day Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. And they tried to get into the house to lay him before Jesus. They could not find a way to do this because of the crowd. So they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles in the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. Now, for some of you, this is going to be a new story. For others of you, it's going to be a very common story. And I hope that you can just put aside what you think you know about this and just put yourself into the story and see either way if God would say something specifically to you today. I want to look at some of the characters that, are, that we see in this story. The first of all being the religious leaders. The religious leaders, it says the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. The religious leaders are there and what are they doing? Do you remember? They're sitting. And because they're sitting They're demonstrating their own show of disrespect for Jesus. Because in that day, the teacher sat and the students stood. And so Jesus would have been sitting, and for them to sit was a blatant show of disrespect. 
You see, because these religious leaders had been doing this a long time. They had their Bible down. They knew what they knew about doctrine and theology, and they had been passed on, and they got it. And they saw their actual role in life as protectors of the Jewish tradition and scriptures and laws and rules and rituals. And it was their job, they thought, to build a fence around these traditions and around these laws so that people would live right and honor God so that one day, because of their diligence in helping people live right, that God, that the Messiah would come and everything would change and it would be great. And so they were the policers of behavior. They were the enforcers of the law. And here they were because they had heard about this Jesus doing crazy things. And this was their first kind of face-to-face encounter with him. And because they were skeptical, because they didn't buy in, because they thought that they were the main influencers, that they were the ones who were right when it came to spiritual matters, they sat and said, show us what you got, Jesus guy. And so there they are, doing what they do. And I know that many of you, even in this room, don't come to church all that much. Or maybe you didn't come to church for a long time before you came here. Because there are still modern-day religious people here and now and in our culture. There are still people that want to try to build fences around God. And unintentionally, in some cases keep people like you and me out. There are still people that try to put themselves between you and God. And I know that, and I know some of you have not really jumped in in terms of a relationship with Jesus because you look at religious people and you think, if I have to be like that to have a relationship with God, I'm not interested. Or if that's what God is like, then this, then this isn't for me. And that can still happen in our day and in our culture right now. And so that's what we have here with these religious people. We also have a paralyzed guy. He's on a mat. It's a sleeping mat. It's a very thin kind of a mattress thing. And he's been there for, for a long time. We don't know how long, if it was a recent injury or if he was born paralyzed. But we know that he's paralyzed now, and we also know that he has some good friends. Why is that surprising? What do you think? You can play along here. Yeah, well, men are loners. Thank you for that, Kevin. Uh, And paralyzed men would even be more so. Why? Because they've been hurt, because they've experienced great pain and loss. Because they've, they've, they are in some ways have been forced to be isolated. But this guy is the opposite. This guy has good friends. This guy is approaching it in a healthy way. This guy is connected. This guy does life with other people somehow. Somehow he views his situation and he turns it in some way into a positive so that, his, so that he's magnetic and attractive to these people and they love him. And as you'll see, they do anything for him. That's amazing and that's uncommon. This is a remarkable guy. He, he has a healthy response to his situation. Not pushing others away, but drawing people to himself. Then you have the friends. 
We know from the book of Luke that there's at least four of them. The Bible says that there's four, and they carry the corners of his mat. And so these friends are, what's some characteristics? What do you know about these friends just from what we've already read in this story? They're bold. Why are they bold? Because they, they, there's a crowd there, and they're not going to stop. They're going to go onto the roof, and they are going to lower this guy through. Let me just keep going on that for a second. In that day, they had flat roofs. The roofs were made of long logs. That was kind of the first step that they would make. They would have the walls, and then they would put the roofs up, and it would be these long logs. And on top of the logs, then they would add these reeds and weeds and branches and things all twisted up, and that would be the next layer. And on top of that, they would put this mud to be an insulating factor. And then on top of that mud, they would put another layer of mud with with lime in it. And so that that would uh, prevent water from leaking through. And they would roll all of this with a stone roller to make it flat. And in those times, they would store, they would store things on their roof you know, whatever it is, your, you know, your boxes, the stuff that you really don't need, but you talk yourself into keeping, and, and that's on their roof. They would dry fruit on their roof, and in the summertime, they would sleep on their roof, like some of you do, because you don't have air conditioning if you live within five miles of the ocean, right? And so that's what they did, and they had either a stairway or a ladder that would get up there. So these guys are bold, and they're courageous, and they have faith to the extent that they carry this guy all the way up on the roof and start digging through the layers that I've just described. Now, I don't think that they dug like a six-foot-long hole to like lower him in gently. I think they dug just a big enough hole as they could so that they start forcing, so they start like stuffing this guy down like this, which means the crowd that's there is looking up, and there's dirt that's falling in their face, and there's light that's poking through, and this is distracting, and they're like, hey, I waited overnight to get these seats, you know? Who's this guy that's coming in right here in front of Jesus? And so now... Now they have a job to play because the paralyzed guy is just being like handed down. And so there's no choice. If you're a decent human being, you're going to hold the guy up. He's the first ever crowd surfer. And so they're here and they're now forced to hold this guy on their shoulders and kind of put him down in front of Jesus. And so people are probably not very happy about this whole situation. And that's what you're looking at. That's the picture. That's the reality. And these are the friends that are determined. They're bold. They're courageous that would not let anything stand in their way of getting their buddy to the foot of Jesus because they believe that this is the Jesus, that maybe he's the God-man who can do something about his situation. And so they stop at nothing, and they get him there. And sometimes, ladies and gentlemen, you and I need friends to get us in front of Jesus. I don't care how spiritual and strong you think that you are, there are times in life when you just can't get yourself there. You might have a blind spot. You may have gone through unspeakable pain and suffering. You might not know which way is up and down anymore. You might have doubts and are questioning the kind of the fabric of what you believe. And we all need other people to get us to Jesus. Then what happens next when his friends have done this and they put him in right in front of Jesus, is, is shocking. It's crazy. Verse 20, when Jesus saw their faith, when Jesus saw their faith, the friend's faith, 
Not necessarily the paralyzed guy's faith. We don't even know if he has faith or if he just hasn't even wanted to hope yet. Uh, but, But the friends have faith. And the Bible says when Jesus saw their faith, he tells the man, your sins are forgiven. Now, did you know that your faith can inspire God to act on your behalf and somebody else's? And in this instance, Jesus is so impressed by their faith that they would go to this great length just to get their buddy in front of Jesus, that he says, friend, your sins are forgiven. To which the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the religious people, begin thinking to themselves, who is this fellow that speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Blasphemy means to dishonor God. Who is this that's dishonoring God? Who can say, he he can't say that. He can't forgive sins. Only God can forgive sins because sin by its very nature is an offense against God. So who else can forgive sins but God himself? It's like me saying, it's like Brian. Brian's here, and I've never been in a fight in my life, but just kind of go with me on this for a second. If I punch Brian in the face, and then, and then Ryan over here says, hey, Caleb, it's okay, I forgive you. <laughs> Brian's like, no, you don't. Yeah, it's my nose that's bleeding. Who the heck are you? punk, you know, that's like, he, we have to work something out between us. You are, you know, out of this equation. And so the Pharisees, remember, who are the protectors of their way of being religious, see this and they think, this doesn't fit into our box. How can you forgive sins? Only God can forgive sins. You punch God in the mouth. You, he, he can't do that. This doesn't work, right? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive an offense against God. And so they're they're irate. And then, by the way, you still have the paralyzed guy. He's there. Jesus said, friends, your sins are forgiven. And he's lying there on his mat being held by some now new random people. And he's still paralyzed. So imagine whatever kind of embarrassment he's already felt and gone through. Imagine the hope, the faith of his friends who came for one reason and one reason only, to get this guy healed. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. The the religious leaders are upset for one reason, and these guys are upset because Jesus is clearly missing the point. Do we need to make this more obvious? Paralyzed? Like, why do you think we did this whole charade? And so I just imagine the embarrassment of this guy. He's already disrupted this whole thing. They're going to have to owe this guy money for the hole in the roof. He's not happy. He's already called his insurance guy. I mean, there's, there's like all these implications, and he's lying there and can't move, and he's told his sins are forgiven, and he must be thinking to himself, I'm paralyzed. What egregious sin do you think I've committed recently anyway, right? What, what is this about? And what it's about, friends, is that Jesus has a different priority than we do. We think that we know what it is that we want or what we think we need or the way we think life should work or what should happen next 
or how this scenario should play out or how this dynamic should be fixed or how we can get to where we think we deserve to be. We, we, see, we think we see it clearly, and this is how the way things are. And Jesus sees it differently. He understands the way we see it, and sometimes he'll do that thing that we want, but he sees something bigger. We see this, he sees this. The question for you and for me this morning is will you trust that Jesus wants the best for you? Will you trust that Jesus wants the best for you? He knows what you want and what you think you need, but will you trust him that he's going to do the best thing? Because the paralytic's deep need, deep desire was to walk again. And his friend's desire was that Jesus would heal their buddy. That was what they wanted. That was what they hoped to see. That's what they came here for. What about you? What is it that you see, that you think that you know, the way, the way that you think that this situation should play out? Will you trust that God actually knows and wants what's best for you? There was an article that was written a while ago, by a woman named Cynthia Hemel from the Village Voice. She says this, I pity celebrities. Celebrities were once perfectly pleasant human beings. But now their wrath is awful. More than any of us, they wanted fame. They worked, they pushed. The morning after each of them became famous, they wanted to take an overdose. Because their giant thing that they were striving for, that fame thing that was going to make everything okay, that was going to make their lives bearable, that was going to provide them with personal fulfillment and happiness had happened, and nothing had changed. They were still them. And the the disillusionment turned them into howling and insufferable people. And then at the end of the article, she says this, I think when God wants to play a really rotten practical joke on you, he grants your deepest desire. What if that's true? I mean, maybe not to her extent. She's, she's wrestling with reality, this reality in her own way. But you know what it feels like to actually have a thing happen that you've been hoping for and yet it doesn't really satisfy. Maybe it's something I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. God, if you just do this for me, then I will forever be grateful. I'll never complain again. I'll never ask you for anything else. And you get it, and it lasts like two days. And you're like, yeah, about this other thing. I've got... We think we know what we want and what will satisfy and what will make everything work out for good. And yet, will you trust that Jesus knows what's best. Let's look back at our story. We still have the paralyzed guy, and he's still, he's still lying there, and his friends are wondering if all this effort was for nothing, and the religious leaders are still really mad, thinking that this guy is blasphemous, and that they're going to maybe have to take him out and kill him, which they did eventually. And they're thinking, how can this guy have the nerve to suggest that someone besides God can forgive sins? This just isn't how things work. 
And then the next verse says, Jesus knows what they're thinking, and he says, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So let me just tell you this. Isn't it cool that Jesus says, refers to himself as the Son of Man? He's the Son of Man, and he's the Son of God at the same time, right? He's God in skin, but he refers, that's his favorite way that he refers to himself, as the Son of Man. Why? Because he identifies with you and me. He constantly refers to himself as the Son of Man. I came to relate. I came for you. I just think that's cool. And he wants us to know that he has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Now the religious leaders missed it. God, Jesus had them in this like mental gymnastics trap. It was like, which is easier, to wave my hand and say your sins are forgiven or to heal the guy? And they're like, this is not going to go well for us. So they didn't even say a word. They just sat back and be like, this is about to be checkmate. And so they, 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 they didn't have any response. And he goes, okay, well, let's do this other part of the miracle too. Go ahead and get up and walk. And then everyone's like, Dang. Does that mean that the forgiveness of sin things happen too? Does that mean that he's God? Like really God? This is crazy. But the religious people missed it. Because it can happen, the same thing that can happen to us. The longer we think we know God, the the, the longer that we kind of go through religious motions, we, all of us, can fall into a similar trap, a religious trap of being drawn into the rituals and putting a fence around what we think we know to be the way to do the spiritual life. And that can be a prison of its own for us. And it can also prevent other people from getting to Jesus. It still happens, friends. It happens when we obsess about the information that we love and instead of the transformation and letting God do what he wants to do with us. When we become more about us and our way, instead of getting out of the way so people can get to Jesus more and more and more. Don't fall into the religious trap. The second thing, just to pay attention to, is that the last parting words that Jesus says to him are, take up this old way of life, this, this, this old mat, this thing that was the past, your story, and go home. I think he says, go home. Because when we encounter Jesus, it's not a miracle just for us. It's a miracle for the friends, too. It's a miracle for the family, the people back home. It's for everybody. And when you have an encounter with Jesus, when he changes you, when when he opens your eyes, when he heals your soul, when when he does what he does in your life and in your story, it's for you. And it's for everybody else. Go enjoy the goodness of God with these friends who believed enough to bring you to the feet of Jesus. So trust that God wants the best for you. 
And then the last little fill in here, find your four. Find your four friends. Who are the four? Do you know who they are? Do you have people in your life that even if you don't want to, that they would take you to God kicking and screaming? That even if you, if you can't see, if you're, if you're hurt, if you're depressed, if you're angry, if you're mad, that they will still just take you and bring you to God's feet. If you don't have that, we want to help you have that. That's why we make a, such a big deal here about our life groups. Rooted is the on-ramp to life groups, but you just need to be connected with other people. Some of you are like, yeah, I prefer like, my relationships to be more organic, and that's great, but if you've been here a month and you haven't had organic relationships yet, let us help you. <laughs> you need other people. You just do. We need each other when sometimes we can't see straight and we can't get to Jesus on our own. Now, here it is. Who is the best at, despite what we think we want, knowing what is best for us? And who is the best at just placing us at God's feet? Who does that in our life better than anybody else? Mom does. (laughs) Mom does. Mom's been doing what's best for you your entire life, even when you didn't want it. And mom continually brings you back to God and prays for you when you don't even know she's praying for you. And prays for you when you're furthest away from God and rejoices with you when you're close to God and things are going well. It's mom who prays every day for her kids. It's mom who perseveres through the pain and agony. It's mom who endures all kinds of challenges and heartache and rejection. It's mom who sometimes literally or just spiritually has to give their kid back to God because it's his in the first place. It's mom. And so today we wanted to celebrate our moms. Today, we want to make a big deal about moms. Today, we want moms to know how loved you are, how grateful we are for you. And so as we conclude this service by singing together and celebrating God's goodness and celebrating how much we love moms, will you just stand and join in the band as we sing?